Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. You guys, it's like we're home for Christmas. One big happy family. This is awesome. So good to be together. Well, you guys, Justin Stockman and I celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary yesterday. Wow. We can officially drive a car, so better watch out, world. (laughs) You know, I know you're not supposed to compare yourself to your spouse, but just to state some facts, I mean, just factually, he is just entirely better than me. I mean, top to bottom. You don't have to feel sorry for me because I fully benefit. I mean, I fully benefit. He outdoes me in honor, in love, in, in just the way he is constantly laying down his life that I would benefit. And definitely, he is by far the most influential person in my story, besides Jesus Christ, right? And I remember uh, several years ago, one of the hardest seasons of my life, uh, just navigating uh, a darkness and a torment I had never navigated before. And I felt like I had navigated some rough seas. Anybody been there? Like, oh, that that was just a little bit of wind. I'm going to (laughs) die. I'm about to die. And I remember one night, uh, I just couldn't sleep. I I was so tormented. And remember, he got out of bed. And he said, baby, one day you're going to talk about this season. And you're going to set captives free. And what, what the enemy has sent to destroy you, you will kill him with that sword. And I just remember at the time thinking, you have lost your mind. I am, I mean, I, I'm going to die. There's no way I'm going to make it to a microphone. And he, he has just relentlessly believed in me. I love you, baby. <laughs> Guys, I always feel so honored to get to talk to you. I just look out and I see just a sea of champions. When I hear your stories, I I see your passion when we're worshiping together. I feel like, whoa, we are running with warriors and nothing is impossible for a room filled with warriors. And every time I, I grab the microphone, I just hear the Holy Spirit whispering to me, give your best today. (laughs) Preach without reservation. Preach like the most important person in the whole wide world is in the room because he is and I'll be there. (laughs) And you know, when we stand up to do what we're anointed to do, He's called us to do it confidently, not hesitantly. 
And whatever the thing is that you feel like the Lord is putting his finger on in your life in this season to do without reservation, I, I just feel like charging you that we're all better when you give your best. And no one gets better by you being less than who you're called to be. And when you step up to the table without reservation, like Jesus himself is in the room, our entire community gets an upgrade. And you know, I, if I could just articulate anything I've been feeling the Father saying to me personally in this season, uh, which I feel like is a word for all of us, it would be, you know, my people are exhausting themselves in the wrong war. <laughs> and we're busy wrestling down doubt that is what he's promised really gonna happen. Is it really, really, really gonna happen? And it's distracting us from the real war of growing big enough into our identity that we can sustain the weight of what he will pour out and what he will fulfill. And he hasn't called us to arise and shine in reservation. He's called us to arise and shine in confidence. And, you know, I just want to take a look at Numbers 13 this morning. Nope, this evening. <laughs> I mean, I've been preaching for evenings for, you know, how many years? It's all right, it's in the blood. We're going to be back to mornings someday. It will happen. <laughs> So Numbers 13, oh, I love this story. It's so helpful. This, this is when, you know, the Lord sends his people to go spy out the promised land. And, you know, we, we know how the story goes. They get into the land and it's beautiful. It's flowing with milk and honey they carry back a cluster of grapes that's so weighty, it takes two men carrying it on a pole to get it back to show the people. And, you know, there's, it, it says that they sent chiefs from every tribe. So these were actually leaders in the tribe. And, you know, how the story goes Caleb and Joshua are the only ones who come back with a good report. And they both saw the same land. And it, it's like a very sobering reality when we let the story pierce our soul that two groups of people saw the same giants, the same grapes, the same milk, the same honey, and only two out of all the chiefs said, we can do it. This is our land. Don't delay. Let's arise and go now. And, you know, the bad reports sent the entire camp spinning in fear. And, you know, I found this verse a couple years ago, Psalm 106, 24 through 25, that says, yet about, about this experience, it says, yet they still didn't believe your words and they despised the land of delight you gave to them. They grumbled and found fault with everything and closed their hearts to your voice. 
And, you know, the most terrifying thing that could happen is not that we don't possess our land, but that we could be living in our land and despise it and grumble and complain. And, and we could walk on to the shores of everything that God promised. And, and we could, you know, it says, they saw the giants and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers and we also seemed to them. So they, they seemed to themselves like grasshoppers. And we could actually be living in a land that we once dreamed about. And our internal capacity didn't grow up enough to enjoy it and delight in it and treasure it. And, and say, this is the season I was born for. This is the hour why I was, I was put on this planet. And we could, be, we could be found saying, take me back to Egypt. Take me back to the land of slavery because we're a grasshopper on the inside. And you know, we hit this reality of how significant our identity is around here all the time. Our huge passion is that we would be a community of people that are reigning in life. And that all happens on the inside. All of reigning in life happens here where grasshoppers live. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit, the Bible says. They had something going on in their internal world that wasn't intimidated by the giants. And, and you know, the, the sobering thing is everything we're living in right now, not everything, some of the things we're living in right now were once a dream. You can't look around your life and not at least pick out a couple things. I used to dream about this. And if you're having a hard time finding just one thing, let me help you. Just picture your 12-year-old self saying, I can't wait to drive a car. <laughs> okay? It's all you thought about. It's all you thought about. You would get in the back seat, you would buckle up, and you would tell your parents, I can't wait to drive a car. I'm just going to get inside. I'm going to turn the key. I'm going to use the blinker and the windshield. I'm just going to go where I want to go, when I want to do it. And then you try driving home from Atlanta on a Friday night. And what's supposed to take 30 minutes takes three hours. And you're like grumbling and complaining. And your 12-year-old self is mortified. I waited and waited. Do you not know what you're walking in? You're driving a car. You know? I dedicated my whole childhood to plastic babies and a fake husband. I mean, my entire childhood. From the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, I was dressing babies, nurturing babies. I mean, like, he was perfect in every way. I took care of everything while he went to work. And then I got married. 
was like, these people I live with are not like the plastic ones. to raise a real baby, you know? And I, I just feel this heightened awareness that we would be the people that know the land we're walking on. Because somewhere, some, somebody out there in another nation, the persecuted church, you know, the, the, all, all the people in the world that are living in massive deficits, they peek into our world and they say, they're living my dream. They're living my dream. And, and we fill up our space in the kingdom by being aware of what we're stewarding. You know, the prophets of old peeked in to our time that we would have continual access to the presence of God. I mean, that was hard to even comprehend what a savior would give us access to. And when we're found living a life of grumbling and complaining and, and getting wrapped up in entitlement because we haven't outgrown our grasshopper mentalities, we're not honoring the price that our fathers have paid. And you know, that that leaving our mark in our hour of history. You know, I, I have a daughter who's working so hard to learn how to read. And to some people, it just comes super easy. You know, and some people it's like hard work. And, you know, she'll sit down at the table, be like grumbling, complaining. And, you know, I'm, and I give these wonderful speeches. I, I, I mean, I feel like they could change nations. You know, it's just me and her. I'm like, honey, no, no, no. There's kids all over this world that are dreaming about an education. They're dreaming about learning how to read. They're dreaming about getting to sit at a table and learn the hard stuff. This is what Stockmans do. We do hard stuff. This is what we signed up for. We signed up to do hard things well. And, you know, when we look at this passage, one of the most, you know, things that just struck me years ago when Eric Johnson was here, and he said, giants in your land do not mean that you're doing something wrong. It's actually proof that points. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm in the promised land. And, you know, we, if we want to be kingdom people, we're going to be running towards giants the rest of our lives because the kingdom is constantly advancing. The increase of his government will have no end. So we're going to be advancing from glory to glory until the day we die. And, you know, I just, I want to touch on five areas where I have personally in my life felt convicted, you know, <laughs> over time, where it's 
that grasshopper mentality can't go where I've destined you to go. Okay, so there's more than five, I'm sure, but these are just the five that came to mind because of my personal experience. Okay, so welcome. Welcome. Okay, number one. Grasshoppers perpetuate environments of living small by valuing survival over advancement. If you look at chapter 14, verse 2, It says, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness. And they're, they're wanting to keep an environment predictable. They're, they're wanting to shrink their environment to the size of their identity. Hey, let's go back to Egypt where we were small. They were slaves in Egypt for years. They were literally treated like grasshoppers. They worked from sun up to sundown with zero rights. And they're saying, hey, it's better just to know we'll survive than to step into an environment where we might, you know, face a giant and, and be defeated. And grasshopper thinking is constantly thinking about, I just need to survive. I just need to stay alive. And it's the complete opposite of the nature of the kingdom because the nature of the kingdom is constantly advancing. It's constantly thinking about increase and forward movement. You know, I read this quote by Bob Goff and he said, a movement is just a bunch of people moving. <laughs> So if you want to be a part of a movement, just do something, you know? And it, it, all that matters is that we're moving forward. We're moving forward. And, and to see how big you actually are, you have to get into an environment. You have to get into a match where you feel smaller than the giant staring you down. You, you have to look that thing in the eyes and say, I might die. I, I really feel like I might die. I really feel like this anxiety might take me out. I really feel like this fear is so much bigger than who I am. And, and stare that thing down. And you know what? Sometimes we lose. I, I mean, I, I've lost so many times in my life. And a righteous man keeps getting up. Not just when you sin, but when you lose a battle, you know you were called to win. And in the kingdom, we lose battles, but we win the war. And keeping the emphasis on what we're destined for is what causes a righteous man to keep getting up, to keep getting my, if it takes my dying breath, I will defeat you. If on my dying bed, I am still staring you in the face and saying you will not win, then it will be worth it. I would rather be staring that thing down on my deathbed than letting life pass me by in a corner like a grasshopper. So number two. Okay. <laughs> you guys, you guys ready? 
I didn't realize this was a call for warriors today. But I mean, that's what was happening. So here we are. <laughs> warriors. Okay, so many prophetic things we could dive into. <laughs> that's awesome. Grasshoppers are grieving with a spirit of unbelief. Warriors are grieving because of the unbelief. And, you know, I, they, at the very beginning of chapter 14, the whole congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept all night. Like they were grieving over something that hadn't happened. They, they were weeping all night because they were afraid the giants were gonna destroy them. And it was all a figment of their imagination. And you know, I've learned so much from my husband about the importance of grief and how it is holy and needed. And in my personal journey, I've realized we cannot ascend into greater levels of joy without learning how to grieve. Because though the weeping lasts for a night, joy comes in the morning. But listen, warriors are grieving over the right thing. And, you know, a, a spirit of unbelief pulls out its shoulder when you're afraid. And it, it lures us. You come over here. Let me comfort you. Why don't you just let your imagination go? Why don't you just daydream about the possibilities of a, what could happen and get your emotions all entangled with what could happen? And, and the goal of unbelief is to suffocate us to death. It is to leave us completely powerless, resting on the shoulder of a demonic influence. But true holy grief is what Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb did. They fell flat on their face. They ripped their clothes and they began grieving over the unbelief in their camp. And they said, God, not on our watch. Not on our watch. And they knew how to put grief in its proper place. And I just, I see a generation of warriors arising that know how to grieve in the right way and know where to put unbelief. Because, you know, for the longest time, I received unbelief as a spirit of wisdom. <laughs> this is just good feedback. <laughs> you know, I know, no. That's a devil that's lying to you and, and wants to wipe out the lineage of Jesus for the rest of time. <laughs> Holy grief has hope at its banks at all time. Good is coming our way. And I can be comforted in a place of loss while hanging on to the presence of Jesus. I know the end of the story. I know the end of the story. Number three, grasshoppers make their gods small and magnify the giants. You know, we all have a magnifying glass right in our hand. And the sobering part of this story is that these two groups of people went into the same land and saw the same exact layout. 
and came back with two radically different reports. And Joshua and Caleb were magnifying their God. Oh, we got this. We could take this land. And everyone else was magnifying the giants. And it, it is a real thing to have a big God and a tiny devil. And, and a grasshopper mentality is constantly seeing the things that are coming out of, out, coming towards us, our circumstances, all, all the things that are standing on our promised land as huge, so much bigger than our God. And, you know, Philippians said, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is beautiful, set your mind on these things. And there's so much we can't control in this life. But what we choose to magnify in our mind will always be in our control. I will always get to decide, where am I going to put this magnifying glass? Because there will always be things that aren't happening and things that are happening. And we get to have the choice. Am I going to live powerful and magnify the greatness of my God? Or am I going to live like a grasshopper at what's coming towards me? And, you know, I, I love that it wasn't denial. There were really giants in the land. But they just lived with a higher reality in trusting in who their God was. And number four, grasshoppers are gullible to a spirit of fear. Look at verse three. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. You know, like they were just believing everything fear was throwing their way. Our wives and our children are, are going to be destroyed. They're going to be defeated. And fear was telling a storyline. And the grasshopper mentality was just grabbing a hold of everything fear had to say. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to think happy people are naive. No. Like, <laughs> sometimes it's easy to think people who are reigning in life have never faced a giant like I have. <laughs> you know? And when you start to make up storylines defending why I'm living like a grasshopper, we know we're having a conversation that's not the spirit of an overcomer. And, you know, fear is what's naive. Fear actually needs to be informed about the reality of who our God is. Because when you're looking at the God who just split the Red Sea so that all of his people could walk through, and I'm like, that's impossible. That's impossible. And then the water crashed in on the Egyptians and annihilated them. The God who spoke words and all of this existed. <laughs> you know, when we start meditating on the God of the impossible, suddenly faith becomes our first and most natural response. Oh, this is nothing for our God. 
This is nothing for our God. And, and when fear starts to come and make accusations about your God, you know, like Goliath came making accusations and taunting the living God. And little tiny David shows up with confidence and says, how dare you taunt the living God? It's one thing to taunt me, but to taunt the living God? You wouldn't even be here without him. <laughs> and there's a resolve that wells up in our soul when, when those who know their God will carry out great exploits because we've informed our thinking about the reality of who he is. Number five, grasshoppers don't believe his motive is good. They just, they just flat out asked, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? And, you know, he was bringing them into the land to bless them. And they completely missed the motive of their God, the nature of their God. And, you know, the, our theology about who we believe God to be is meant to be experienced. The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Peace and joy both have to be experienced. <laughs> well, I'm happy on the inside. I just don't ever smile. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you, just, you haven't experienced your theology yet. You know? <laughs> but your experience does not ever get to define your theology. And when we look around at our circumstance to define who our God is, we've moved away from being believing believers. Because I don't get to step up and decide who God is. His nature is unchanging. And, you know, Jesus showed up on the scene as perfect theology. Bill, Bill Johnson says, any question we have about the nature of God that we see in the Old Testament is to be answered in the person of Jesus. And we don't have permission to make conclusions about his nature outside of the person of Jesus because Jesus came to manifest the Father. And, you know, in Matthew 3, we're just going to look at this passage before we close. Uh, 3, 17. Jesus is starting his earthly ministry. And remember the heavens open. And it says, then suddenly the voice of the father shouted from the sky saying, this is the son I love. And my greatest delight is in him. Afterward, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the lonely wilderness in order to reveal his strength against the accuser by going through the ordeal of testing. The father publicly affirms, this is my son. 
all my happiness is in him. All my delight, all of my smile is on him. And then the first place the Holy Spirit leads him is not to a quiet park to sip some tea. He takes him in to the lonely wilderness. And he's pronouncing the wilderness is a punishment no longer. No longer will your external circumstance be information about the heart of your father. When you get a flat tire, God isn't angry. <laughs> when your business fails, your father's not mad. When you find yourself in an isolated land, it's not because you're being punished. Jesus came to fulfill everything necessary to forever be connected to the pleasure of the father. And, you know, he was weary it says that he was extremely weak and famished. And he came to model the way of one man completely dependent on the presence of God and the affirmation of his father. And, and all he went into the wilderness, he had no physical strength of his own. And he completely annihilated the devil embarrassingly so on the affirmation of his father I'm proud of you you're mine you belong to me and when you have zero strength to offer I'm your God I am your God and you know the the people of God completely missed when they were heading into the promised land that it wasn't about their great strength. It wasn't about them being bigger than the giants. It was about the voice of the Lord saying, I am giving you this land. It is yours. And it was never a question of is this your land? And they got all twisted up in the wrong conversation because their identity wasn't settled about who their God was. And Jesus steps onto the scene to finish the story. Nothing is impossible for you when you know who your God is. And the question isn't, how is this going to turn out for me? You know, we actually know the end of the story. Revelation says they overcame. They overcame that the, the accuser of the brethren had been accusing them day and night, day and night. And us, they, we are the they, overcame by the blood of the lamb, the word of the testimony, and they did not love their life unto death. And, and we are stepping in to this season aware that, that our greatest energy is going in to giving the grasshopper in us good feedback. Hey, listen, you're not going to be my counselor any longer. <laughs> hey, listen, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living and breathing inside of me. And I know the end of the story. So we can't help but have the blood of a warrior pumping through our veins. I'm destined to overcome. 
and live in the fullness of everything that Jesus purchased. And listen, it says that he went into the wilderness to reveal his strength. And when you step into a scenario that feels bigger than you, it feels impossible. Warriors say, my strength is being revealed. The God of the impossible is about to manifest his nature through me. And you know, just like Esther said, if I perish, I perish, but I've been called for such a time as this, and I can't help but advance the agenda of heaven. I can't help but advance the nature of our God, and I just see invitations being sent out all across this room that you are being summoned into the right war, that the wrestle is no longer over. How is this going to end? Is this going to work out? What, what's going to happen? No, I'm going to be in the right war that says I refuse to doubt the nature of my God. If he said it's my land, it's my land. If he said we're going to overcome, we're going to overcome. And, and everything inside of us is growing into sons and daughters that actually carry the love of the Father that I am moved forward into courage because he loves us. Ephesians 1 says, with the same love that he has for his son, Jesus. So we actually have to step into the story and hear the father saying, this is my daughter, whom is all my delight. This is my son. And in meditate on anything that you would question about the love of the Father for Jesus. You don't have permission to question about the love of the Father for yourself. The Bible says it's the same love. So let's just all stand up. So we just, we just say, Jesus, that we just accept the invitation to arise and shine into the fullness of what you've called us to. And it's, it's all for you. In any area of our life where the devil is stealing from our mindset, we just give you permission to reveal it so plainly. And, and we love we love the process of becoming like you. We love to think like you and to feel like you and to be moved by you. And so we just welcome you, Holy Spirit, to do what you do best in making us into those that carry the same aroma of Jesus the same aroma of victory, the fragrance of overcomers. We love you, Jesus. Everybody says, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.